have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. Silence, the great and powerful Oz knows why you have come. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature. Don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, or what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. <laughs> Jason Burmis. And who loves you? And who do you love? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It is Reality Rants. I am Jason Burmis. This is Red Voice Media. Remember, we do the second hour over at redvoicemedia.com slash Jason or slash uncensored is where you can sign up. And that network continues to grow. Plenty to go over today. I want to talk Assange. I want to talk the remnants of the COVID-1984 nightmare. I want to talk about the footage that's just been released of the Russian jet um, dumping fuel on this UAV. I want to go over it all with you guys and so much more because this really is a dark clown show. The, the, the whole culture, man. And if you watch last night's broadcast with Fitch, uh, there were a ton of stories that we we were talking about that over time paint a picture of a, a society, our society, that we want to believe that we're just and we're doing the right thing and bad people are punished. But instead, when you get into the upper echelons of so many of these important institutions. And when I say important institutions, we're talking about government, we're talking about media, we're talking about entertainment, we're talking about sports, and all those culturally are extremely important. We could sit here and talk about the culture wars all day, but if we don't acknowledge how important all those are and how they seem to be working in unison and how they seem to be infested infested with people we've never held accountable for doing some of the most egregious things nightmarish things you could imagine while putting on a facade a, a pro wrestling facade there really is no simpler analogy than the pro wrestling analogy i hate to tell everybody Oh, I'm mad at you. No, I'm mad at you, Chuck Schumer. Oh, I'm mad at you, Mitt Romney. Ooh. 
Scooby Dooby. Give me a break. <sighs> so, one of the cartoon, and, and here's the thing it's dark, man. It's like clown. When I was thinking about it again, just going through my mind last night after we did the broadcast, and, and I'm looking at a Barney Frank who should be in prison, not making $2 million with banks that are crumbling and crashing. I needed some money. Hey, I've done some corrupt things, and you think I won't work for a corrupt bank? You bet I will. I'll do a lot of things, right? I don't know why I'm smiling, but that's it. It's the dark clown show. It reminded me of killer clowns from outer space. Now, it's going to be taking some people back for sure. If you don't know what killer clowns from outer space is, at least for me as a kid, um, probably late 80s, early 90s, this movie starts coming on on things like WPIX, WWOR-TV, later gets picked up by the HBOs of the world, but you had to be pretty haughty-totty to have HBO at the time. Of this alien clown show, that comes to a town and just starts murdering people. <laughs> and also not only just murdering people, but getting them to go into their clown tent where they're basically tangled in like a cotton candy web, having their blood sucked out of them. Lovely stuff, but it's a funny movie. It's dark, but it's got a lot of comedy, but at the core of it, the, the, Clowns' faces are very, very disturbing. They're doing very, very evil and terrible things. But you let it pass. No big deal. That's the dark clown show we're in. Okay? And then I took it further. Because my mind likes to wander. Sometimes I can sleep. Sometimes I can't. I got like four, maybe five hours of, of decent sleep last night. It's tough out there, kids. I'm not complaining because I love this gig and, uh, you know, I love the opportunity to spend mornings with, with everybody out there and even those that join later, et cetera. I like being able to get this message out on a multitude of platforms, but anyway, I'm thinking about it. And then what's next that comes to my mind, a clockwork orange. Okay. Because that's really a dark clown shell. And what do I mean by that? If you watch a clockwork orange, First of all, Kubrick, genius, one of my favorites, if not my, I mean, probably my favorite, just, just because of um, not, not only his directorial style and the camera work that was done there. You know, we played some Orson Welles, uh, who also did some pioneering stuff in, in that regard as well. But the things that he hid in those films and just the subtle nature of what he was trying to say socially and politically in a lot of those movies. A Clockwork Orange on its face when you're watching it at like a, like a teenage level and your mind isn't developed because that's what I did. Uh, you know, I going back to it and thinking about it, uh, you know, I was probably just in high school and I had no idea who Kubrick was or what. You know, I'd just seen the cover art and got the film. And for me, the first time I watched it, first of all, the the language is a little bit off, so you're kind of paying attention. And then you realize it's from the past, but it's supposed to be in the future. And it, but it's still got this like very retro 70s 
kind of vibe. You, you very much pick up on the fact that there's this gang mentality and that these are just like kind of teenage kids that are, are the shitty kids that are going around fighting in gangs in cities, right? But then it takes a pretty dark turn early on where the, the, the ultra violence that they like to take part in um, are not only like knife fights, et cetera, but also raping women and home invasions. And that's dark clown show stuff. And, and when that first scene comes on, they're actually wearing like the very dark clown type masks along with their suits. So, so you, you, you're watching this and you're like, okay. And then as it goes through this very simplified, by the way, and this was my first run. There's a lot more I want to get into about it, but you see that Alex, the main character ends up doing jail time for this eventually. Right. Um, but, but at the same time, there's a lot more going on and they're showing how this is almost acceptable in society. And this guy's a smart guy. He doesn't have to be doing this, but there's just a psychopathic sociopathic nature about him. The dark clown show puts on a facade in a lot of society. So, you know, basically because of, um, his social savvy, he gets picked into a program while he's in prison of mind control. And instead of trying to reform the person, okay, make them realize what they've done is wrong. And listen, uh, we have Ray on the show. Ray is the uh, founder of Red Voice Media. And he said, you know, a lot of these people are beyond reform. And especially in the case of some of the dark mother truckers we talked about yesterday, I totally agree. Like, again, if you are abusing children over you not you, do, over you're in jail forever stop that if you, that's part of the game get out of here why are we even thinking about it you need to be locked up for the rest of your life you can't stop yourself and the argument might be made that they saw this in alex no matter what they did or tried to talk to him you know he came from a you know a middle class family in the book all these different things etc it seems like he's kind of uh, rogued out on his own nature versus nurture. So instead, they go the, the route of actual mind control and torture. And as they treat him, they make him watch things that he would rather enjoy. But instead, um, they're chemically making him feel ill and sick. Now, as they run these reels, they also happen to uh, run music in the background. And uh, the irony is that the same sickness gets associated with that music that used to be his favorite. And it basically, you know, it, it creates this situation where they've biochemically castrated a human being who can no longer defend themselves in any regard because they can't take any physical action um, whatsoever after the fact and, and they torture this person. It really, you know, and you get that the first run through, at least I did. There's a lot more going on. Uh, Kubrick is a genius, but it's that dark clown world because we're there. We're there. We're making, we're making arguments beyond that. And, and like one of the ironies is that the thugs become the cops eventually in this society. When you, when your society is just 
blown out, et cetera. Basically, there's a point where Alex is let go from jail. He can no longer literally physically do anything. And instead, um, his old buddies are now cops and they just go beat the shit out of him. Why not? Why not? All right. I want to get into some news. I want to play some clips. It is reality rants with our with our top rant right there. Let's get a hundred thumbs up over there. Let's share this on Rumble. Um, let's check out the documentary films and let's get going. I quickly talked about this, but this is kind of the dark clown show, right? Can you recognize these famous faces? If not, you may have COVID to thank. Now I'm not saying this. All right, this is a Dartmouth University paper. I think it's Johnny nonsense and ridiculous. Who knows? Maybe we get taken off for medical misinformation because I disagree with it. That'd be wild. Maybe this is who friendly. I don't know. But to me, this is the dark clown show that they're telling you now long COVID and you just, you, you, you just don't know who Ken Jong and Oprah Winfrey or the rock are anymore or the Barack star. <laughs> I mean, face blindness affects up to 3% of people or up to 10 million, according to Harvard, most commonly due to brain damage, such as following a stroke, head injury, inflammation of the brain, or Alzheimer's disease. See, that's what you should really be worried about, but I'm not even getting to all that. Like that, that's what we should be focusing on. But nope, everything is, is the, uh, the, the COVID-1984 show. We talked about this quickly too, and I brought it up on the show last night with John. Um, but I think it's really important that people better realize that on a large scale, a lot of you people in the tech world, okay, you're getting automated out. And that also probably means in the next 18 to 36 months, all right, year and a half to three years, that consumers that start to understand this. By the way, Simon Naylor, thank you so much for the uh, tip, ski, and hutch. We just got that over on another thing. Let's put this on vibrate. Um, more and more people will be automated out. Now, I, again, I'm not against artificial intelligence tools. Uh, I think technology can be used to empower or enslave. But as we've talked before, uh, garbage in, garbage out. And it, it was just like when we... <sighs> We rewound and we talked to G. Edward Griffin all those years ago. And he said, look, a computer program can be great or it can be horrible. Who's programming it? Who's programming it? Um, but at, at the same time, when you're doing cookie cutter stuff, when you're when you're doing stuff on cooking or you're doing stuff on uh, databases or best practices or industry talk, it's going to be very simple for this stuff to create content for it. And it's going beyond just the writing. Uh, I believe GPT-4 is claiming it's so much more powerful than chat GPT. I mean, these chatbots, uh, again, we're going to have to do a live show where we just get involved. Maybe I'll play with some of these chatbots over the weekend. New computer out for delivery, by the way, guys. We got like a 9.40 a.m. delivery on this side to about 2 in the afternoon. Let's hope it's early. And then I can get crack-a-lacking at it. And that means Monday, hopefully, 
Uh, everybody's going to, I mean, it, it's probably going to look very similar to this. I haven't even decided if I'm, I'm going to use this camera in front of me or I'm going to use another one. This camera is very convenient. I think it does a bang up job for, for, for a webcam, you know, smaller, more, more compact, more, more durable. I love that stuff. And that's the thing. While this takes place and you're automated out, how many people in those industries, for instance, have become so subservient to a system of, I live in an urban area. I live in a little box. I pay a lot of money for that little box, but they paid me a lot of money to live in that little box in NYC or Chicago, right? Or LA. And we talked to Fitch in particular um, about what was going on because a lot of the stuff we're seeing, at least visibly with the banks, left coast, West Coast, baby. Very evident. So now all of a sudden your lifestyle is going to have to change because you're not even going to be able to afford that unless maybe you take a little UBI dole. Oh, everybody was so ready to take that dole money, that sweet, sweet COVID money. Oh, yeah. Couldn't wait. I didn't take a dollar. Not un buckaroo. I don't want your filthy money. And, and that's not for me to shame anybody out there that did what they had to do. But you see how they control the implosion. And actually, I've got this uh, video. Um, it's I think it's Economy launching a credit card on your carbon emissions and spending limits. And you start crashing banks. Okay, and you say you got a magic card or a magic appy that makes makes the gas pump worky, hmm? keeps the heat on buys the foodie. A lot of people are going to sign up for that quick, quick, especially soft people that weren't really doing much in the first place. How many people are on the dole already? And been accustomed to that lifestyle. I've seen it firsthand, man. Once people are accustomed to that lifestyle, they make it work. They say, yeah, mm, I could work, but then I actually get less money. There's no long-term plan of I'm going to work so that I can get a raise one day or I can work somewhere else and gain a skill set. People feel trapped so easily. They're not tapped into their humanity. They're not tapped into their inner greatness, what, what they're meant to be, their goal orientation. And I think that uh, AI is going to sap a lot more out of, I mean, even think about how many of these trendy people in their mid-20s to even their mid-40s where I'm at, because my generation is certainly a part of this. I'm not here to fool. I'm not here to fool myself and say, we're so great. We're not. Kind of sucked. Certainly didn't step up to the plate, did we? Hmm? We had our opportunity to step. My generation, you, we had our opportunity to step up the plate. Uh, war of terror, 9-11, period. Enough people were waking up. We had our opportunity. We failed. Now, subsequently, I'd say people got softer. Okay? Way, way, way softer. But you got, again, a good range of 20-somethings that are just going to bend the knee once they're automated out. Whatever system you, CBDC, great. Fantastic. Mwah. 
So actually, I think that that's probably going to be our first video of the day. Let, let's let's uh, let's play this one here. This is uh, the the uh, carbon emission credit card program. So good stuff. Weird and wild stuff. In 2018, the United Nations released an urgent report emphasizing the need to cut carbon emissions in half by 2013. And, you know, I, I have a, you know, I don't like putting the memes up here. I really don't. Not my favorite. Tell, tell me I have it up here, though. I thought I thought I had it up. Hold on. I might have to grab it. We might have to do it live. We're doing it live. I, I hate memes in general. Let's see. Do we have it right there? Yes. And I don't like to pick on Greta. You know, Greta, she's not my favorite. But when I see stuff like this, it, it really does say it all. Yeah, She literally had a forum saying, you have stolen my dreams and my childhood. No one stole anything from you. What a defeatist attitude. And then you got ch children in the cobalt mines for the electric cars. That's, yeah, no, that's, that's slavery right like those, those people in real time are having their lives stolen from them this is a scam to steal the rest of our lives to put us as, under a, a system of command and control into not just the internet of things in slavery but the internet of bodies in slavery as they try to pull their transhumanist bullshits i know thank you and, and it's not her she's a kid she's a kid they gave a kid a forum. It's like, can you blame even Michael Jackson for the monster he became? He was a kid. You put him in with a den of vipers. Just like I, I talked about it yesterday with Drew Barrymore. Sitting there on her knees with Mulvaney. People want to go at She was a kid. When, she, when horrific things happened to her. And she's put into rehab because of those things. All those people should have been around in jail. They're tools of the system. All right? And, and I mean, again, this says it all. This, and, and that, I'll tell you what. No matter how many times I think about this tough stuff that I maybe went through as a kid or some of my friends even went through, and, and knowing that as bad as we had it, you know, there are certain things, so those dark things that we talk about that didn't happen to us, and we're damn lucky. Well, I'll tell you what, I never felt like, you know, the cobalt mines were in the cards. But this is the dark clown show. Can we get 100 thumbs up over on YouTube, by the way, for the Thursday show? So so here it is. Remember, we got to cut those emissions, and, and everybody was on Greta because she deleted a t tweet about how, Five years ago, you know, everything was going to start to fall apart. It's nonsense. They perpetually tell us this. They're talking about CO2 emissions and not real pollution. They're not talking about genetic engineering or bioengineering. Okay. They're not talking about geoengineering or solar radiation management. We're not, they're not talking about the real directed evolution that they have planned for the entire species on the planet. Okay. That's what I'm saying in order to avoid an irreversible climate crisis. Irrev oh, we have to avoid its oh, irreversible climate crisis. We're in the climate crisis. And if you watched uh, on the premium end yesterday, that the, the global leader, the climate crisis, the 
the average consumer in Sweden causes around 10 tonnes of carbon emissions each year, of which 60% is linked to consumption. Later in 2018, Deconomy, a Swedish fintech, took on the challenge and launched Do, a mobile banking service for everyday climate action. And yes, everyday climate action. And you better believe that you know, you know what symbols that those are because this is international. They want it. The Do app is connected to a credit card that enables users to track and measure their carbon footprint from each purchase and to compensate for its impact day by day. You're bad. You're a human. You suck. You're bad. You're a human. You suck. I I, I want to say, let me bring it back, but was that like lipstick? They're like, we better get that. It looks kind of like lipstick right there. Actually, it says, yeah, boutique rouge. That's, uh, that's plus nine kilograms of CO2. Hey, hey, ladies, you want to put on the lipstick? Okay. Mm, we're we're going to have to add that to your carbon credit score. My goodness. And to compensate for its impact day by day. This spring, Deconomy took its fight against climate change one step further by adding a premium credit card to its offer. But instead of introducing a premium credit card with the typical benefits that encourages further mass consumption, Deconomy did the opposite by launching Do Black, the world's first credit card with a carbon limit. <laughs> the privilege of using our card shows your virtue signaling. We're taking climate action. Instead of giving you benefits, we will limit your purchases. It's the dark clown show. The global dark clown show. I mean, come on, guys. Is this, I mean, boom. Simply put, it's the first credit card ever to stop you from- Transaction denied. You've reached your carbon limit. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I, this is what I mean. You know, there are po points in, um, a clockwork orange that are funny that the, you know, Alex is a likable character at, at times. And there are one of the reasons that killer clowns from outer space were talking about it all these years ago later is because it's funny. It makes you laugh. I mean, <laughs> Transaction denied. You've reached your carbon limit. Wow. I'm overspending. Not based on your available funds, but rather on the levels of CO2 emissions caused by your consumption. Sneaker City. Tennis apparel. Fast burger go. So again, it's not how much you have. It's how much we say you can have. Do Black helps you track your climate impact and ensures that you reduce it by 50% in line with the UN 2030 recommendation. The core purpose of Do Black is not only the ability to measure the impact of your consumption, but also bringing it to a direct halt, making it a radical tool against climate change. It's a radical tool against climate change. I mean, this is a radical 
mass psychosis, psychological operation against the human species. That's what we're watching. For years, credit cards have put a limit on our credit. Do Black puts a limit on our impact. So let's just stop it right there. I just want to say this. <sighs> and of course, I have bank cards. Okay. In other words, I have a, I have a card for every bank account I have, and they're debit cards. I've never had a credit card. I don't want your credit score. I don't want your social credit score. I don't want your carbon credit score. I don't want your black card. I don't want the privilege of you to cut me off of goods and services, not because of how much I've earned and accumulated and have to barter in a system, but because you say I'm using too much carbon. It's nuts. Crazy town. All right. Uh, whoo, I want to shift gears just a little bit. Just, just, just a wee bit. Just a wee bit to another side of crazy town, okay? So we're gonna discuss with the audience here. The women who say they're happier because they don't have children as one in five reach 45 without becoming mothers. And that's actually a big deal. Now these are supposed to be those women. Let me, let me, let me repeat that. These are those happy women. <laughs> Jane Hawkins, Vicki Priest, and Helen Campbell. Now take a look at these 45 year old women and tell me how happy they look to you. Here, let's let's zoom in. Let's get it really, let's get really, really in there. Let's open that image in a new tab. I want people to see how happy they really are. Okay, let's get rid of the, those are really happy people. I mean, I, those are the type of people that I'm thinking party town USA, right? Gonna be great at a party now. Let me delve into this a little bit because it, it's not like I can't relate to those women. I can relate to those women, actually. Uh, I'm 43 in just four short months now, less than half a year. I will be 44, right around that age. And let me tell you, as a man, my largest regret in life, all right? And, and I don't have a lot of regrets, by the way. But my largest one is that I still have no children and I don't have a family. And I think that's very unfortunate. And it, it's something in my mind that if I'm not able to have kids or don't have kids or a kid or a child before I leave this plane of existence, kind of a failure. And I mean, a, a huge failure, not just a personal failure, but you know, up there as kind of, in my mind, a, a career failure. And then people would go, well, what do you mean? How does that have anything to do with your career or anything? Because I look at life as basically this thing that we can all enjoy, but at the same time do great things to hopefully make our lives better, share great moments that are special to humanity in particular of love and enjoyment. And I totally and completely believe that what our purpose, at least one of our purposes, if not the main purpose for us is to procreate and then hopefully take what are our best qualities, okay, and try to pass them on to the next generation, our children in particular.
Now, I, I've time and time again seen the argument that when I, I dare say something like that, that's narcissism, right? I don't, what are we supposed to do? They, we, things have what's called, called a life cycle. And don't we want better lives for our children than ourselves? Isn't that kind of obvious? Sounds pretty obvious to me, in my mind. But maybe maybe I'm wrong, you know. So I I really I'm hoping uh, and trying to work towards that. And and I I think that most people get that. Like in my mind, like the 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 greatest moments uh, out there are when you can share. I mean, just share yourself with something you created and you were a part of. It's like the circle of life, man. Come on. All right. Uh, I want to shift gears just a little bit. And I want to shift gears to Julian Assange. Okay. Now, first of all, I want to play this clip of Julian Assange uh, talking about the last free generation. Okay. That, that's number one. Then we're going to get to him being asked about 9-11. So here's Assange on the, the uh, last generation being of freeness. I say that this generation, well, that, perhaps our generation, but anyway, this generation being born now, uh, in, in seconds in most countries, oh, sorry, very shortly in most countries, and it's already happened in, in say, China, most European countries, United States, is, is the last free generation. Uh, you were born and either immediately or within, say, a year, uh, you're known globally. Your, your identity in one form or another coming as a result of your idiotic parents uh, pl plastering your name and photos over, over Facebook uh, or as a result of insurance applications or passport applications, uh, transport uh, on airlines, etc. You, you are known to all the world's major powers, all the world's major uh, state powers and all the world's major commercial powers. That's a very different situation for individuals to be in than they have previously been in. That a small child now, in some sense, has to, has to negotiate its relationship with all the world's major powers. Of, of course, in practice, it can't do anything. Its parents are, are uh, not managing that negotiation. But it put, put, puts us in a, I think, a very different position in the, in the sense that very few, in fact, maybe only a few people in this audience, very technical, technically capable people, uh, are, are able to no long, able to live apart, to choose to live apart, to choose to go their own way. They must be part of not only the state, but the major state-like corporations, so powerful, they may as well be states, uh, and not just their own state, but other states as well. That's a, a significant change, cultural change for humanity. I would have to agree. And I think that was uh, a big insight. And I, I think we're actually beyond that. Obviously, um, that's while Assange 
is still at the Ecuadorian embassy before he's taken to Belmarsh. And, and once once again, Assange is import, important on so many levels because if we want a free press, we need a WikiLeaks type apparatus that will what? Get the information unfettered to the people. There, uh, do we have the January 6th stuff? Nope. Did the Tuckins go as hardcore as they should have? Nope. I period. Let's see if we get it. I don't know who they are. The Twitter files. It's kind of just stopped all of a sudden, hasn't it? I'm waiting. I'm still waiting for this. Uh, the, some people said, oh, don't worry. The muskernut's going to dump it for everybody. Okay, sure he is. So this is Julian Assange. Uh, again, while he's at Ecuador, being asked about a new investigation into 9-11. And look, Assange wasn't great on 9-11. Took some swipes at quote-unquote 9-11 truth, which were unnecessary. But although he deflects the question a bit, he kind of inadvertently admits that there are several nation states that obviously had involvement in 9-11 that we're not talking about. And as you guys know, I've often talked about it being an international intelligence operation, even though in the past, um, you know, I've, I've used the term inside job. That's because you had people on the inside with the warnings, the war games, et cetera, that had to be there not only to make it work, but then to cover it up after the fact. So here's Assange uh, being asked about 9-11. Thank you. Uh, now we move on to the next question. Could you introduce yourself and speak into the camera so we can see you? My name's Stian, and I'm just wondering, uh, you mentioned the Gulf of Tomkin incident. Um, since we are now living in the wake of consequences of 9-11, do you feel now, with the media failing us, that we need a new investigation of 9-11? Thank you. I mean, it's, it's an interesting question. The original investigation of 9-11 was, of, of course, you can see from the from what which documents were restricted, uh, <coughs> compromised by uh, the United States diplomatic and uh, Power, relate, power sensitivities concerning the role of Saudi Arabia, perhaps to a degree, uh, the role of a couple of other uh, states. So let's stop but that there. I, I don't think that's important. So now he's going to be like, oh, that's not important. So right out of the gates, he tells you that the investigation is a sham. He names Saudi Arabia in particular because, you know, that's the mainstream narrative and what's out there, the Saudis, the Saudis, the Saudis. But then he says a couple other nation states, Israel and Pakistan in particular, would actually be those nation states. As we know, Iraq had nothing to do with it. Let's continue. States. Um, but I, I don't think, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously all these things should be investigated. It, it, it's, it's quite interesting to see um, after... Uh, 50 years, uh, new JFK uh, documents coming out. There's not so much interest there directly con concerning the murder, but the the uh, political but the geopolitical environment, the attempts by the United States to assassinate other people, for example, uh, yeah, is is quite quite revealing. On, on the on the 9/11 issue generally, uh, yeah, I, I mean, take a look. He, he, 
just like and Greenwald got put on the spot by Tim Dillon and gave kind of a similar response that Julian Assange, he's even Assange doesn't love this. You know, a little hot under the collar. So he said like all these things to need to be investigated. You know, he's talking about, I believe it's the 2016 releases of uh, JFK documents, maybe 2017. This is one of the last interviews he, he does before he gets taken out of Belmarsh. But listen, obviously Assange should, should have gone a little more hor- hardcore here, but he knows 9-11 is a scam. I don't, I don't think it is particularly important. See? Uh, in the sense that uh, every day or, or every few weeks, WikiLeaks and, and some other publishers uh, publish proof of very serious existing conspiracies that are happening right now or just a couple of years ago uh, in order to start wars or billions of dollars. Uh, th- these things, I think, can have more of a, a change. There, there's a, a certain view in relation to 9-11 that it, it's some kind of holy grail that would, would shake the, the existing order of things. I don't think it would, even if it came out that there were you know, some rogues, uh, rogue agents uh, involved. So. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people don't know about this. You know, he even talks about the rogue agents being involved. He just says it, it's not the holy grail to shake the order. And, and he's right at this point. You know, I, I, I don't think he would have been right if we did this in the first five years. And that, that's how it would be positioned, no matter who it was. Boom. Boom. So, uh, you know, I need to capture that just so I have that on hand because a lot of people don't even know uh, that that exists. And that's from December of 2017. So um, you're talking about five, five and a half years ago. All right. With that being said, I was able to find the clip of um, myself finally doing the debunker thing. Remember, I, I said that we were going to have that, hey, me versus debunker via 9-11. And I'm not perfect, but in this exchange, I think I do a, a really good job. So we're going to go back 15 years, 15 years uh, with me and uh, somebody that uh, is challenging me on my position. And we're going to have a respectful conversation. Not Justin in Texas. It's somebody else. Go ahead, Justin. Hi, uh, Jason. Good to talk to you again. Oh, it is. Uh, I was just calling up to hopefully uh, uh, get in some comments about controlled demolitions and your thought on that. Sure. Yeah, I was wondering um, if during the mechanism of collapse on the World Trade Center towers, um, they both initiated at the same point of impact as the airplane. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay, so how, how could it have been that the controlled demolitions incorporated that you guys suppose did the attacks on that. I never said CDI did the attacks. Hold on. All right. All right. right, Hold on. I'm going to give you every opportunity to talk, but when you misquote me, I have to correct you. CDI was commissioned to clean it up. That's all I've ever said. Okay. CDI came in and cleaned that up. They cleaned up uh, also Oklahoma city. All right. And now your question is, well, how could, how could the uh, demolition be at the impacts of these planes? Those entire buildings were rigged for demolition. In other words, the top 20 floors above the impact were also rigged for demolitions. That's why there's not a huge 20-story part of the World Trade Center on the ground, because if it had tipped over, that's what you would have seen. You can clearly see squibs going off 20, 40, and 60 floors below the supposed uh, collapse initiation point. 
and we'll get into more of it on the other side. Uh, this is the Alex Jones Show. Hold the caller over. Infowars.com, prisonplanet.com. It is a big idea. It's about the Marvin E. Foods Ever Center. That can take down a building, a large size building. I mean, there aren't that many uh, controlled demolition businesses in this country. Uh, again, they get government contracts all the time. They're family run. Uh, I never said that they were the ones that rigged up the towers, but they were the ones responsible for cleaning up the towers. Now, quote unquote, Justin, is that even your real name? Is it Dan or Justin, man? I mean, you're the same guy, right? name is Justin. Um, Alex Alex knows my name is Justin because he called me back in my house to verify that. But um, I just want to make a quick comment and then, um, you know, I could take your answer off the air. I just was thinking that uh, if the impact of the planes hit at the exact initiated collapse point of the buildings, how how would that be such a great guess from whoever set up the controlled demolition? No, I I mean, that had all right, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll answer. I don't think it's building. a guess, number one. All right, you see... All right, for instance, the, the second plane that goes into the building, you clearly see a demo charge go off outside of the explosion of the plane. It's in the center of the building. It's a small squib. It looks just like the other squibs. Now, with the first strike of the World Trade Center, that plane, look up 20 floors. You'll see the exact same squib going off. You'll see another squib in the middle of the building pop out, and the whole floor pop out around the 105th floor. I don't you think... You see a whole section of the top building falling, though. I'm not talking about collapse. Portion. Hold on, hold on. I'm not talking about collapse. I'm talking about when these planes hit those buildings that you could see squibs being knocked loose from the demolition charges that were placed in the buildings. That's what I'm saying. Okay. It just seems that there's a lot of floors that they would have had to load up with controlled demolitions. And, I mean, I've heard you guys say that a couple of floors were restricted or there was limited access. Well, it wasn't a couple of floors, man. I mean, all right, let me, let me, let me talk on that for a second. I interviewed right. Gary Corbett in 2006, right before the anniversary. He worked in the buildings. He approached me. I didn't know who he was. He had gone to our site. He saw the Scott Forbes article that is now notorious, where Scott Forbes claimed that uh, certain floors were shut down in the weekend before the attacks and that they were given access to a new security system. Okay. Now, Gary sure. Corbett comes up to me and he tells me the same exact story. He says that they were knocking down, uh, I think, something like three to four floors at a time, powering them down, clearing them out. And he said that when he got there on Monday, he was very confused because this new security system wasn't working and a lot of the... Uh, a lot of the uh, businesses on the floors were upset because they couldn't they couldn't get their their security working. And he said it, it caused a big hubbub. People were being called in and out, and people were unhappy. And of course, the attacks happened on Tuesday. Do I know that they rigged those uh, buildings for demolition the weekend before? I don't know that, but I, I do know that John Gross is on camera saying that there was no molten metal at the scene. He said, well, let's go to your initial pre premise that there was molten metal on the scene. He denies it. He says no one reported it. Now, I've got probably half a dozen uh, newspaper reports, and then in Loose Change Final Cut, I think I have five to six witness eyewitness accounts, including Ken Holden, who was on the scene before anybody who was part of FEMA and their team uh, going around. He's talking about molten metal dripping from six. Then he denies that the thermal imagery of uh, from NASA even exists. And that's a big problem for me. If he's not going to take a look at the thermal imagery that shows these extreme hot spots under one, two, seven, and even six, then I don't think he's credible. And then when he's asked 
about the rest of the collapse. He said, well, we didn't have to actually uh, do any mathematics or equations for the rest of the collapse of the building because it's very evident what happened to those buildings on the videotape. All we had to describe was collapse initiation. Now, you would think right. in a 10,000-page report, they could explain why the bottom 70-plus floors of each building turned to dust. Okay, well, I have a lot more questions for you, but I appreciate the time you've given me so far. And uh, I just wanted to make a quick comment. Is mm -hmm. um, Recently, within the last couple of days, I talked to somebody who was much wiser than myself who said, um, you're not going to get anywhere being a jerk. So um, I apologize for past marminess, mm -hmm. and I hope you appreciate the uh, more appropriate dialogue. Uh, I, I do, and I'm more than willing. I, I just want to put out that I'm more than willing to speak to my detractors on any level. You know, I've talked to the SLC guys. I've challenged them to debates. They're not sure. that they they don't, they won't go on against me anymore. You know, Pat Curley has come on against me a couple times. James B has never come on against me. But you know, any I, I'll look at all the evidence, man. And I'm not in this for any other reason other than what I believe. And I I do believe that this was an inside job, and I'm I'm very upset about it. It does not comfort yeah. me that. Well, I, I, think I do. Uh, I I gave you the apology, and I look forward to speaking with you in the future. All right, man. Have a good day. All right, let's go to. That's how it is done, folks. Boom. You know, we, we, we don't have to agree. Let's have a conversation. Well, let, let's talk things over. And uh, that's why I, I think actually it's a good thing that O'Keefe and uh, Veritas have split. Why is that? As I, as I talked about it, I think it's good that you have almost like a competition now. I am kind of upset that more people have not reported on this because this is post O'Keefe, right? Last week, they came out with a New York teacher detail disruptive uh, LGBTQ plus uh, transgender indoctrinations, uh, non-binary stuff within upstate New York schools, Albany school districts. These are the school districts that I was around as a kid. People have to realize this is outside of the city. And this is real. And I've had conversations like this is the dark clown show with my brother because I'm out of touch, right? I'm totally out of touch how far it's gone. And he's like, you don't get it, man. It's everywhere now. It's everywhere. You can't get away from it. Now, at the same time, O'Keefe uh, Media Group has begun. And I know that he's uh, taking monetary donations from people, says he has a core of journalists. Um, in the piece, he discusses how he was able to get started with that uh, original sting with just him and a camera. I would have encouraged O'Keefe to try to go the We Are Change route and say that citizen journalists everywhere should start submitting their stuff. And, you know, O'Keefe can kind of be a conduit for these things. Uh, but because of what I, I, I have kind of learned from the behind-the-scenes stuff, I'm not sure that's possible. And I don't think the way that the, even the alternative media handled uh, J James O'Keefe's leaving was actually accurate. And that's not to knock on people because, you know, certainly on its surface, uh, the timing of things, Pfizer, YouTube, et cetera, it, it definitely could have been construed that way. But all I'm going to say is when you have big personalities like that, um, a lot of things can go awry. None of us are perfect. We're all human beings uh, and we all make mistakes. So here is the launch of O'Keefe Media Group. 
The irony of the acorn story is that it took a 25-year-old with a hidden camera a few days to do what billion-dollar networks and journalists could not do in a decade. I spent 14 years creating the most effective nonprofit newsroom this country has ever seen. And in paving the way to establish citizen journalism, I have been defamed, arrested, raided, and ultimately removed from the organization I spent so much time developing credibility of. I always knew they would try to ruin the reputations of those who expose them, the pharma giants, the three-letter government agencies, and those who I thought I could trust. But in response, we are going to build an army of investigators and exposers. They have awakened a sleeping giant. I'm back. Remaining by my side are a small, tight-knit group of the most elite journalists in the world. Exposing corruption requires standing up to power because power hates sunlight. We are sunlight. Welcome to the O'Keefe Media Group, where we will never be shut down because not only do I own it, but you own it too. Support us and sponsor our army of journalists by becoming a founding member today. So there it is. Um, that is the new pitch. You know, we'll see. I, I, I Again, I like competition. I like real competition. I'm not dancing McDance. You know, he's got a, a trippy backbeat on that one, right? So <laughs> just saying it. You know, like, I, I think O'Keefe's going to end up doing some good work. Uh, he better get moving, though. And honestly, let's not just throw uh, Project Veritas by the wayside. It's a big story they just launched. It's a big, big story. All right. I want to move on. And uh, in about seven minutes, we're going to be going uh, over to the premium portion of the broadcast. Uh, that is redvoicemedia.com slash Jason, redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored. I want to remind everybody, RVM Roundup, Drew Burquist. Uh, you got Chad Cannon now. You've got Matt Couch all together over on a network that is slowly but surely growing and uh, hopefully going to be a, a powerhouse in alternative media. And the way it's been described to me is kind of like a a... a a way to get around, quote unquote, big con. And when I say big con, big conservative. I'm not a conservative guy. I'm not. I'm Jason. You're wearing a red shirt with black crows. Obviously, you're conservative. <laughs> People just can't uh, stop commenting on the James O'Keefe dance along. All right. I want to show this quick before we go over uh, to premium. Remember, you can listen for free over at the Podbean, over at the Info Warrior. We always give it away. And every two weeks, what? We give away the videos anyway. Redvoicemedia.com gives away the second hour anyway. So really consider supporting the broadcast. A buck to sign up for the first week, 10 bucks a month, or $100 to lock it in for the year. I want to expand. Hopefully you want me to expand. Hopefully you're going to love what you see in here Monday as we try to expand. And I couldn't do it without you guys jumping on and supporting the broadcast. I also want to thank everybody that supported me through Rockfin and buying me a coffee and all those things as well. Couldn't do it without you either. This is the video the United States has released um, showing a Russian fighter jet allegedly spraying a, uh, a drone. 
coming right up on that fuel dump and Pazinga. Pazowzow. And, you know, then I, I see the video underneath and I'm wondering, you know, is, is this an automated gimbal shot of it? It looks like, uh, you know, a second possible gimbal shot of it here. And that's when it goes haywire. Who knows, right? I know that they put it out there. That's what I know. That That's what I can tell you. Um, that's what's out there. Any kind of provocation doesn't look good to me. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I think we need to pull back from this conflict. I don't want World War III. Uh, but Sam Husseini, who uh, I, I've been following a lot because he's really the only journalist I've seen asking real questions as part of the press corps right now, like real tough questions that go outside the left or right uh, medium at all. He's doing a great job. Did you know there was a, a possible coup going on right now in Pakistan? I had no idea. This is how isolated we are. Most people don't know what's going on in the banking system. Don't know what's going on in the global order of things. Don't know or care about coups in Pakistan. Why would they? Why would we? The masked singer's on, dude. Like Gaga might make an appearance. Wait, what are you talking about? The Dark Clown Show. The Dark Clown Show continues for sure. Uh, and speaking of the Dark Clown Show, NASA has gone full Dark Clown Show. And, and now instead of the white suits, they're going black. This is it. This is the new Artemis. Yeah, let, let's see it in action. That's what I want to see. Come on, NASA. Show me. Show me it in action. I'll let Jim do some squats and lunges and, and, and just show off some of the uh, some of the mobility uh, that the suit has and demonstrate some different movements. There's a variety of joints that we've put <clears throat> as well into the lower torso assembly. And this is going to be a huge improvement over the Apollo suits. The Apollo suits didn't have many of these types of joints. So, uh, you know, once again, they're, they're telling you they're going. And color me not convinced. Color me not convinced that rocket technology is taking humans to the moon, period. Especially if they're telling us the truth and the moon is 237,000 to 250,000 miles away. Color me skeptical. That we've put in this suit so the astronauts will be more comfortable, have an easier time walking, performing tasks, um, getting down to like to pick up a rock or something like that or use a geology tool. Um, and then the other thing that, uh, yeah, that's a great, great demonstration there about my gym. Oh yeah. Uh, that's a great day. Yeah. We getting ready. We gearing up. So, so this is it. And by the way, there's a new remastered, uh, I think it's called Apollo remastered of all these different photographs. I'd love to get that. I don't want to pay 40 bucks for it. I think it might be actually even more for a hard copy. I think the PDF file itself is like 40 bucks, which is, uh, kind of nutty in in my opinion but who knows who knows where we're gonna we're gonna go with this i figured we we'd report on it that's what we do here and what do we got let's see yeah th this is the quick one i wanted to do before we leave these are the monsters among us this is our clown show um you can go read the story uh but this person with the dark clown joker mask 
and uh, bracelets full of CP as he was examining children. All right. He's uh, not in jail. He's not in jail. And and Gary Glitter, who also convicted of doing bad things to children, they let him out of jail. Luckily, they put him right back in jail. Why? They don't stop. They don't stop. But we're going to be stopping right now over on uh, the free end of the broadcast. Uh, shout out to the producer as we start to go over. And we're going to launch on the other side with Ari Melber and Trump's attorney via the Stormy Daniels case. Ooh. And why am I doing the Stormy Daniels thing? Well, I guess you're going to have to go over to premium to find out why. All right. So Rockfin, we will see you on the flip. Uh, YouTube, uh, Arriva Dirchi. Later Twitter. And we've been rumbling and we rumbling no more. So uh, we are going, and in a second, we will go into uh, this Ari Melber deal. And the reason I'm doing this is because, to me, talk about fishing expeditions and what they really want to do with Trump. They want to ensure that he can't even run for the presidency, period. He's wildly popular. I've never seen anything like it, not in my lifetime, whether I love the guy or I hate the guy. And at the same time, I feel like uh, we all have to ride the adult train and and like i remember talking to some of my buddies behind the scenes as the stormy daniel things was kicking off and he's saying that dumb that dumb whore's lying first of all i'm not calling her a whore although the definition of a whore is somebody who sells themselves for sex and kind of the business she's in just saying do your thing let your freak flag fly that's not what i'm here i'm like um yeah trump's very transactional I think the story's true. He's probably paying for sex with Stormy Daniels and then having NDA. So that sounds a lot like Trump. Who cares? We all knew what we were getting. This was the guy on wife number three that was into the beauty pageants that, yes, did have a relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. Like it or not. Whether you like it or not, that's real. Okay? I also said... Unless he's involved with children, I don't care. And the Stormy Daniels thing in particular, I don't care. Now, another thing that I've constantly said about Trump, there were three things that I said about Trump going into it that everybody should know and everybody should realize before they vote for him. One, he's an actor. Okay. It's a guy that I grew up with in pop culture. He made appearances in movies. He was part of what? That wrestling that we talked about as an allegory, very, very big part of the WWF before it was the WWE, Donald Trump, okay? So an actor, all right? Two, what? Totally a misogynist. Uh, love him, hate him, whatever, come on. And, and look, my brother has called me a misogynist several times, and I, I hope that I'm not. I'm hope that, you know, that, that misogyny is not a part of me because I truly don't think that I'm better than a woman. Okay. I want to put that out there, but Trump again, very transactional, very property-like certainly has treated and talked about women as things. Maybe he's had a change of heart over the years. Great. Still the beauty pageant guy. You went in knowing that third, he's a gangster. And that's going to bring us to this clip. This is a guy that 
help build an empire, not only in New York City, all right, in the construction business, in buildings, you're working with gangsters, but then in Atlantic City with gambling, you're working with gangsters. And one of the great things about New York and New York City in particular, and that area is the very gangster talk of some of the lawyers out there. We've talked about Roy Cohn many, many times. Trump's talked about Roy Cohn saying, where's my Roy Cohn? You know, Roy Cohn and his relationship, not only to Trump, but Roger Stone is something we have to look at. Okay. Here's Trump's lawyer eviscerating Melbourne, uh, New York gangster style. And I, I got to say that I enjoyed it. Okay. So here we go. Let's find it. Um, ba -ba -ba, where are you? Where are you? Not there, not there. Um, nope, that's not it. I, I don't tell me that we deleted that because that's that's no bueno. Political opponents, yes, of hiding it and lying about it at the time. And I'll play that for your response. Mm -hmm. He lied about it. We all know that. Take a, about Take a look. Take a look. Let's see. Ari, that is, if that's what you're going to consider a lie, a lie to me is something material under oath in a proceeding. Well, I didn't say not, perjury. I said a lie. Uh, yeah, but that's not a lie. That's that's not a lie. Here's why it's not a lie. That's not a lie. Here's why it's not a lie. Could you? Did you know about this? Did you? Did you? Let me Did you know about this? No, I don't. No, we don't need that. Yeah, I love it. He's like, put the paper down. Ah, yeah. Let me let me take my fingers. Put the paper down. Look, and Ari's having a good time with it. Okay, and, and look. Obviously, Trump's being dishonest, but he's being dishonest because of all the lawfare that's been waged against him, and he's waging lawfare back. You'll see in a moment. Here's what why it's not a lie. Yeah. Because it was a confidential settlement. So if he acknowledged that, he would be violating the confidential settlement. So is it the truth? Of course it's not the truth. Was he supposed to tell the truth? He would be in violation of the agreement if he told the truth. So by him doing that, you by wanna, him doing that, he, he was abiding by not only his rights, but Stormy Daniels' rights. You wanna, it seems so, like we're drawing so, some blood here because you're having a strong reaction. He did lie about it. And in a confidential settlement, you can easily say no comment or I'm not getting into it. it he but, says, but, and the reason why I look at this, he says no. No, I didn't know about it. But he did know about it, didn't he? You know, but here's the thing. I don't know the timing of that video. I really don't. And I'm not trying to play games April, with you. April 28th. Yeah, I, but I don't know the timing of that video in relation to the timing of the other video where he was speaking to Michael Cohen. What was the date of that other video? Do you know? Uh, yeah. We have the Cohen recording. This was around the 2016 campaign pre-November. So that was 2018 right. later. Uh, the original conversations were in the uh, fall of, of 2016. Yes, sir. So obviously he knew about it, but what he decided to do was not violate the confidentiality clause and provision of that agreement, which was the right thing to do. So yeah, he could have said no comment, or he could have said, I don't know anything about it, which is what he did. But that's the right. I would advise my client to do the same thing. He's speaking to some, whether it's a journalist or some young lady on the September street. September 2016 is the exact date. But, but, but whether he's speaking to a, a journalist or mm -hmm. some young lady on the street is shouting out a question, that is not the form for him to go into detailed questions about a confidential settlement agreement. Bada bing, Ari! Bada boom! What is it that you allege that is improper about either Mr. Pomerantz or the function of the DA that is 
provable sure. um, that you think should be on the record? I have an agreement that he signed when he left his Paul Weiss, which is Clinton affiliated law firm, by the way, as an aside, when sure. he left Paul Weiss to Your join. Opinion, but go ahead. Jo- it's not my opinion. It's a fact they raised money for the Clintons, oh. but, but it's, it's whatever it is. He went to the district attorney's office as a prosecutor. You know, in his great book, he told his wife that not only did they not pay him, he would have paid to prosecute Donald Trump. Think about that. Let that roll around your head for a second. Prosecutors are supposed to be blind when it comes to dishing out justice. He would have paid to prosecute Trump, he said. Then- Again, one of the reasons we're playing it, because that's real. So who's the real gangster? The gangster sounding lawyer or the prosecutor? Then he goes in there looking for a crime to fit the person. It's not supposed to be that way in our system. It's the other way around. Then he takes inf- he signs a document, and in that document it says, if you reveal grand jury information, which is any information yep. according to this document, that you get during this investigation, he wasn't there as a, a pedestrian. He was there as a prosecutor assigned with fiduciary obligations and confidentiality agreements. And if you reveal this to a third party, it's a felony under New York state law. Well, be damned. He just decided he was going to write a book. I believe his license will be taken from him, and I believe Alan Bragg is going to look for criminal charges. That's what I believe. That's what I've heard, but we'll see what happens there. But Learned here's what he Learned said. from who? District Attorney's Office. From someone currently working in the office? Correct. Said Correct. what? That they're looking at the conduct of Pomerantz in violation of the grand jury secrecy laws. It's it's black and white. It's in his agreement that he Why signed. would they tell you that right now? Because I've been interacting with him on that topic. Would you? <laughs> Oh boy, this is a fun exchange. I gotta say, and this is why you also watch MSNBC, guys, and you watch CNN, and you watch the BB. If you're gonna watch one, you better watch them all. You don't want to be in echo chambers. You really don't. Okay, you want to hear both sides of the argument, and so you can come to a realization of what to discern as truth. It's a big deal. Say that in a sworn affidavit. Sure. You have a sworn affidavit. You want me to sign? Well, up? I, right mean, I don't. Doubt Would it I say that? I, I, I wouldn't, say it, on, I heady, wouldn't say it on television if I wouldn't say it in a sworn affidavit. Okay. Well, it's a heady. Uh, it's a heady allegation you're making, and, and you're citing the and, current and, DA's office. And it's and it's and it's a factual allegation. He signed a document. So here's and, the question: Alan you- Bragg. Alan Bragg went on television yeah. to say what he's done is in violation of grand jury secrecy laws. And we so reported that. And I'm shocked. I'm, I'm, right? gi- I'm giving you Can time on this. Tie up though the public. Go ahead. Thing. Okay. Here's what he said in his book, which was clearly one of the most biased things I've ever written because read because he said he wanted to get Trump. He wanted to find a crime to fit Trump. What he said was this case, the Stormy Daniels hush money case, was the zombie case. It's the one that no prosecutor would touch in a million years. And it's funny that we have now reduced ourselves to the point of relying solely on Michael Cohen, a guy who's a convicted liar, to bring a case against President Trump when they have nothing else. They scoured for three years. You know, it's interesting. You're jumping. And they did. And they did. I mean, think about that. But. As gangster as Trump was, they couldn't, they they tried to dig up everything on the dude. They really did. I got to say, you're jumping around because I wanted to give you time on the Pomerantz piece. You're jumping around as a, as a reporter and fact checker. I have to say, we have the Cohen receipts. It's not just his word. Your point is he, he was convicted and he was convicted right. of these crimes. But we have, we'll put up on the screen for people to remember, multiple receipts of these payments. This is, uh, I think we have this in part one, our Cohen payments, which he made. So not those checks are signed by your client, Donald Trump. That is not Mr. Cohen's word. Those are 
actively verified financial receipts. So when they talk about receipts, that's what you're facing in court. Oh, no, I, I'm sorry. I think it's time for me to get a thicker pair of glasses, maybe, because I'm not extra. That says Donald Trump on it, right? That's yeah, and, and, and it's, and it's from made the out actual to, banks, and it's the actual made out receipts. To, yeah. Made out to who? Will this work in New York court? Will you made tell out the judge who, you need please? glasses? Made, out, made no. out to Mr. Cohen. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, there's a fact that's not in dispute. What are you talking about? I thought you were showing me a check that was signed by my client that was sent to Stormy Daniels. Yes, he paid Michael Cohen. Yes. He was invoiced by Michael Cohen for legal fees. I want to button up Palmer. So, again, to me, obviously these payments were made. But in legalese, I mean, does it say from Donald Trump to Stormy Daniels? Of course it doesn't. And it never was going to. I mean, these, these are the layers of the law. This is the lawfare game. Brent, I appreciate you taking all the questions. If you are, for the sake of argument, correct about Mr. Pomerantz, what do you say to the DA defense or few that he no longer works there, that mm -hmm. they got rid of him, that this is a they fresh him, he resigned. He did resign, but yep. what do you say to their view that whatever you think of him, even if you're right that he made chargeable mistakes for the sake of argument, that doesn't vitiate and destroy this case against your client? What do you say to that? I say, well, according to Alan Bragg, it caused a problem for them because Alan Bragg went and did a press conference saying that this compromises their grand jury investigation against Trump. So that was the DA saying that. Yeah. But, but regardless, regardless of that, regardless of that, just let's focus on these facts. Ari, these facts do not make out a crime, not a misdemeanor, not a felony, not a traffic ticket. Yeah. They don't. They just don't. There is nothing criminal about what okay. happened in the Stormy Daniels payment. You're handling this New York case. Would you defend him on January 6th? I, listen, what I'm not going to do is go into, I, I don't know about all these other cases. Would you I'm, take the January 6th case? If I believe in the case, I would certainly take That's why do, I'm involved. Do in you case. believe in the case? I don't know enough about it. I believe in him. I will tell you that. I Joe, believe. No, Joe, Ari, I'm giving Ari, you. I, Ari, I believe in Donnie T. Ari, I believe in Donnie T. Ari, not, Ari, Joe. Ari. You but know what happened not, on January 6th. What's not going to happen is I'm not going to go into hypotheticals. I'm just not going to do it. I, oh, oh, I know what happened January 6th. So would I you take would you I take, represented Kimberly Guilfoyle in that Would you take committee. Donald Trump's January 6th defense? Jo Donald Trump? Yeah. I don't. What did he do wrong? I'm what asking you if you take the case. I'm not doing were, an interview if, with if you. There, if there were, I'm interviewing you. Well, I'm, would I'm, you take the case? Let's switch seats then for a minute. Someday we will. <laughs> would you take that case? If they asked me to take it and there were a case, Depending on what the allegations were, of course. It's also a matter depending. of depending. All right. Yeah, depending. I, I can't just say I'll take any case. I don't do that as a Joe, lawyer. Joe, okay? we are I, I believe in this this man. I believe in Donald understood. Trump. And I feel I, he's being victimized by a system and it makes me sick to my stomach. It makes me sick to my stomach. Hey. Um so what we got behind me here, uh, let's lower this because I'm gonna have to read over it again. This is an MEP, uh, uh, EU Parliament, uh, just eviscerating, evis and by the way, posted this to his own Twitter, eviscerating the uh, COVID-1984 hate and lie shot narrative um, throughout Europe. So here we go. We are witnessing the burning of billions of doses of the so-called COVID vaccines around the world that no one wants anymore. Billions of euros of taxpayers' money are being burned and nobody asked questions about anything of the vaccines that were brought to you. No one asked for a permit, not even us representatives who were elected by the citizens to protect their health and their property. It would be better if we immediately burned all the vaccines and save many lives. Burn them. 
and the health of the citizens, the purchase of 4.6 billion doses for 360 million adult EU citizens, okay, was carried out in complete obscurity and secrecy, full of hidden text messages, which indicate the biggest corruption scandal in the history of the European Union. It is a contract worth $71 billion or um, euros, which was concluded with closed eyes between Vondelier and Borla of Pfizer, the CEO of Pfizer, as we all know, has already been convicted in the USA for corruption. Correct. That is correct. I can't play that on YouTube. That is correct. Spot on. Spot on. So I've got another clip here of Webster Tarpley, okay, talking about um, basically this ideal set of the predator class that has spawned generations. And I miss the tarp. I do. You know, he, he was a lefty. That's fine. I think Tarpley got a bad rap on a lot of things. And overall, you know, a really good and interesting person. There's somebody I'd love to do like a weekly podcast with, and we'd probably be fighting back and forth, but a very uh, smart individual. And here he's kind of talking about the historical natures of control and the mathematical caps on population via a um, predator class that's quote unquote scientifically uh, driven. Okay. This is eugenics, the limits of growth. Everything had to be expressed in numbers. If you read Ortez, you realize that he was like the constipated mathematician who worked his problem out with a pencil. <laughs> he produced a calculus on the value of opinions, a calculus on the pleasures and pains of human life, a calculus on the truth of history. And from here we get the Bentham hedonistic calculus. Ortiz thought that there could be and never had been any improvement in the standard of living of the human species. Never happened and never would happen. And using these methods, Ortiz posited an absolute upper limit for the human population of the Earth, which he set at three billion. This is the first carrying capacity. Ortiz therefore provided all of the ideal content of his founding. Three billion, three billion. And, and we've heard different numbers. You know, it's from three billion to 500 million, et cetera, et cetera. The bottom line is the earth is massive. It is massive. And as Kurzweil and some of these other transhumanists have come out and said, I mean, you, you look at Musk, he'll tell you, we haven't used 95% of the usable land on the planet. And I know the Trumpsky and Hutch is out there and he's talking about what? He's talking about the idea of us taking the land of the United States and building these new cities. And a lot of people are like, well, will these be smart cities? I would imagine they are going to be smart cities, by the way. Um, this is what we should really be talking about. We should be talking about a new type of highway system. First of all, why are we still using cement? Are you telling me that that we can't find the innovation of something that's not going to create potholes or be a lot more durable or better? Can't figure that. That's number one. 
So the roadways, the highway systems that are already here, revamp them entirely with some other type of substance. And then a real maglev train system throughout the entire country. I, I think that's something uh, that would be hugely beneficial. Okay. Hugely beneficial. So I, I actually want to find old Tarpley here in my film, Shade the Motion Picture, when we're talking about uh, eugenics. All right. And people in control and splitting everybody in. So the useless eaters, there it is right here. I have um, the, the problem with this clip is that Let's see, we want to bring it all the way back down to the Good Guys Club. Actually, should we bring it to Gate Man? I don't want to go too far. There's Eugenics. There's the Good Guys Club. Yeah, that's where we're going to bring it. Okay, the Good Guys Club. Because Tarpley really breaks it down. This is a part of Shade the Motion Picture. Okay. And by the way, if you if you look at this, even then, I was talking about basically the Internet of Bodies, transhumanism, those type of things. There's gold in that human DNA. Scientific software, yeah, all right. So um, let's get to Tarpley talking about this in my film. Literally going to tell them who you are and how much you're worth. Warren Buffett, who has been described by the mainstream media as the most successful investor in history, is yet another one of these eugenicists that attends meetings on population control, portrayed in the media, as nothing more than a billionaire, an investor, somebody to be endeared to look up to, somebody holding an ice cream cone or cavorting with Bill Gates. However, Mr. Buffett is instrumental in many of the things that take place in the United States and around the world. Warren Buffett is invested in both sides of the coin in many of his dealings. Here's just a small example of some of the things that Warren Buffett is actually invested in. From Lowe's to Home Depot to Visa to MasterCard to Comcast and beyond. Warren Buffett was one of the attendees to this meeting on population control that included Michael Bloomberg, David Rockefeller, Bill Gates, and even Oprah Winfrey. Behind closed doors on this New York campus, a secret gathering of some of the world's most powerful people. Gates, Buffett, Bloomberg, Winfrey. It was like, well, it was like the Super Friends. In the great hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes. Together with others at the meeting, including George Soros, Ted Turner, David Rockefeller, they're worth more than $125 billion. The new Superman and Wonder Woman, the super rich friends, not fighting bad guys, but fighting for good nonetheless. The oligarchy is not convinced by findings or statistics or a survey of the world that the world is overpopulated. The oligarchy has to believe that the world is overpopulated simply because they are oligarchs. In other words, it's a structural feature of being an oligarch. In the case of Greek antiquity, we have a very clear example of the connection between oligarchy and genocide based on the notion of overpopulation. We find that the Greek oligarchy, which speaks to some degree to us through Hesiod, was of the opinion that the Greek world and the Mediterranean world was overpopulated 
in 1000 BC. This is an astounding finding. 3000 years ago, the oligarchy thought that there were too many people in Greece, too many people in Asia Minor, Anatolia, too many people in the Greek islands, too many people in the Eastern Mediterranean, uh, Egypt, and so forth. Your confrontation with Ted Turner on the subject of basically eugenics and the fact that he's the head of the United Nations Foundation and has called for a massive population reduction. Well, one of our members, Gary, actually acted like he was for population control. Mr. Turner, Mr. Turner, um, I was wondering if you think it's a good idea to reduce 90% of the population because we are being overpopulated by a lot of... 90%. 80? Prince Philip said 80, sir. Um, I go with 85. I think 2 million is about right. Let's stop it there for a second. There's another confrontation that's about to come up with Ted Turner that one of the channels and audio was off. So you may or may not hear it when it comes up, but he gets confronted on the fact that he's the largest U.S. landowner at the time. I mean, my goodness. Right, me too. Thank you. Exactly. One child policy. We're now at 7 billion, which means getting rid of 5 billion people. And he called for a one child policy for the next 100 years. So it's pretty scary and pretty ridiculous uh, that he's actually calling for such uh, inhumane eugenics operations when he is actually the U.S. largest landowner and actually has five kids himself. And that's why we asked him, how can you call for a world population reduction when you are the biggest landowner in America and have five kids? And he really didn't like that. And See, see, there it is right there. For some reason, it is just super low. He's like, you in 1996, you were quoted as saying the world should be reduced down to about 500 million. He goes, I don't remember that. Reduced by 95% ideally. World population? World population, correct. I, I, I believe in population, but, but uh, I might have said that. I don't know. 96 was a long time ago. So weird that the channel doesn't come. I can see it on one of my uh, things. He goes, that 96 was a long time ago. He walks right away. Okay. He doesn't want to be hearing about that. Yes, it was, sir. But you are the nation's largest private landowner. So what if that, what if that be a contradiction? There's a concern, not value. A lot of debt put in there. Yeah, but people, but if the world is too populated and you are the U.S.'s largest landowner, isn't that a contradiction to want the world to be depopulated by 95%? No, because I've had lots of, about 50,000 bison on that land. I bought it so, so we could bring back the bison. No, notice that he doesn't stop and say, I don't want to kill 95% of the people. Doesn't say that. They were at the verge of extinction. But sir, what's more important, human race or, or, the, or the human race or bison? The oldest oligarchical trick in the book is to try to blur the line between humans and beasts, humans and animals. And one of the favorite themes of oligarchical sculptures and things like this is to have creatures that are part human, part animal. The overpopulation seems to grow out of the quest of the oligarch to find a way to define other people as subhuman or non-human. The oligarch attempts to say that the common run of mankind, the average person, Joe Sixpack, is really an animal. But the oligarch, the people of wealth and family and whatever other criteria that they may want to drag out, these are inherently superior. At the basis of it all is this colossal 
increase in the human population. It's one of, of, the, of the living species of the planet, but it's, it's reaching plague proportions. Oh. So that the answer... Oh, oh, plague proportions. There's Prince Philip. Again, eh, when, when Harpley says this is an inbuilt feature, sure seems like an inbuilt feature. To the problem that this creates tends to be the extermination of the poor, the useless eaters, the lower classes, the inferior racial minorities, of course, always a favorite target and an obvious target. The problem isn't overpopulation. The problem is the population is being poisoned. GMOs were introduced into the food supply several decades ago. No one's exactly sure the time frame as Monsanto and others were doing secret testing and cross-contaminating crops, even organic crops at the time, before the USDA actually approved it. For example, we've come across documents that show that the USDA had no idea Monsanto was testing its genetically modified alfalfa before its approval in 2004. The three generations of guinea pigs and rats with all the major GMO crops, there's almost complete sterilization and massive mental retard in all mammal species fed three generations of major GMO crops. So again, the dark clown show. These people pose as the saviors. We're going to stop the climate change. Everything's going to be sustainable. You have a nice little credit card. Little swipey swipey. But it's going to tell you when you can't have anything because you hurt the planet. When they are waging biological warfare against you. Straight up. State has funded vaccines to be put in our food, vaccines that uh, harm, irreparably harm people's DNA. Perhaps the FDA themselves are actually conspiracy theorists, as on their own website, it states that vaccines actually include MSG, formaldehyde, a carcinogenic chemical used to preserve cadavers, antibiotics, of course, which are injected into the livestock and known to cause mental illness, and of course, thimerosal, which is in fact mercury, in which doctors are fighting to keep in vaccines, despite saying back in the 90s that it was causing autism and other neurological disorders. These vaccines have something called squalene, uh, or it, in the United States, right now they're using aluminum. When you inject aluminum into a muscle, it is going to start to attack the immune system. The HPV vaccine specifically was designed to destroy a young girl's immune system. The girls that are given this HPV vaccine fall apart within two years. They develop autoimmune disorders specifically, uh, lupus. Uh, connective tissue problems. Uh, they've even had blood clots. Jeez. Huh. It's almost like I put out a film 10 years ago, a month from now, April 15th, 2010, or I'm sorry, 2013, that talked about the dangers of vaccines after we talk about eugenics and population control that just talked about autoimmune disorders and blood clots. You wonder why I ask you guys, especially, you know, your premium. I get it. Thank you so much. I know a lot of you have seen the documentary films. 
You need to show these documentary films to people. I, I would say that Shade the Motion Pictures hold, held up over the past 10 years. You know, I talk about being days, months, and years ahead of the mainstream. I'm not joking. Think about what she's saying. I'm warning you about Bill Gates, experimental quote-unquote vaccines, blood clots, autoimmune disorders. All right? Come on. Come on. Um, strokes, heart attacks in 13, 14 year old girls. That's not normal. It even says on the label that it does not treat all forms of HPV and that HPV is thought to cause cervical cancer. And I walked over to the police, some of which were smiling, but others which were laughing. And I said, listen, autism was 30 years ago, one in 25,000. Now it's one in 58. Brain degenerative stuff is off the charts. Cancer is tripled. Diabetes has tripled in a decade. I've got all the government documents where they're killing us. And some of the cops were laughing. I was warning them about their families because they're not going to listen now. But as more and more people get sick in this soft kill system that the globalists have launched, people are going to wake up. It's nobody's right to come in, inject you with a needle that is going to sterilize you or it's going to change your DNA to the point to where all of your children get dumber and dumber and dumber and dumber until it's a subspecies. And that's ultimately what they're looking for, is a division in the human species, the gods and the clods. If we do have a resource problem, if we do have a population problem, then it's our responsibility to do something about it. Kings, noblemen, extremely rich traders, they hated the idea of technology. And the idea that technology could result in an uplifting of populations. The um, example being that Prometheus had stolen fire from heaven, from the gods, and made it available to humanity. And that's the most basic of all technology. An avenue of upward mobility for the plebeians, who therefore challenged the class privileges and the class supremacy. The oligarchs hate technology. And that is why it is restricted from the masses. That's why, in most cases, instead of it empowering humanity, they have used it to clamp down and enslave humanity. And that's exactly what that Duconomy carbon credit system card would do. All right. Meanwhile, hey, oh, that's the system we want. And if you hate technology, you're already then in a zero growth world. And if there's no technological progress, you're gonna have scarcities, right? This is the, the, the existential ontological predicament of every kind of human society is that you have got to realize progress or you will collapse. So the oligarch says, if there are not enough hats, the answer is not to produce more hats, but to cut off heads. And that's what you see. People who don't give a shit about the whole human rights have got the best technology on the earth. Now you're talking about Adolf Hitler on steroids. And unfortunately, too many people are preoccupied by watching television and sports and trying to make a dollar just to stay alive. They don't realize what's really going on behind the scenes in our country of America and around the world. There's a very big story here that needs to be told. Who is running this planet and what are they doing to the human rights? Hello, darkness, my old friend. All right. 
So uh, obviously um, that leads into the wrap up and really, you know, what can I do about this? You know, and, and one of the main things I, I talk about is what you got to be your own hero, man. You're going to have to navigate this. Everybody out there has got to be uh, their own accountable human being. You got to try to be better than tomorrow. All right. You got to be able to stand up for the truth, no matter how uncomfortable that conversation might be with your friend, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your wife, your husband, period. We got to be adults about these things. We got to figure out, you know, I talked about it with Fitch. What, what kind of assets do you have in an emergency that you can trade or barter with? How are you going to keep your head above water? if they start automating out positions? What are you willing to do on a day-to-day -day basis? Can you stop looking to other people to be heroes? Hashtag be your own hero. It's what I've harped on and talked about for years and years and years and years because at the end of the day, their blueprint has been out there. And when I say they, I don't mean a racial group, right? mean a government entity. I mean a group of people that are the true gangster ass families through generational nepotism that have colluded at the top levels in an effort to enslave humanity under a command and control system that ultimately will have those two species of human beings, the clods and the gods. That's why we put that in there. Think about that. You know, think about a society that's so dark and upside down that we allow the facade to become the reality, the illusion, the Hollywood slather, right? Back in the day, um, uh, on camera lenses before everything was super high def and you wanted to get kind of a fuzzy look or, yeah, you know, you wanted to give that, that blend on people, you put a little Vaseline on the lens, you know, that's like the first special effect. <laughs> well, the first, and now from kind of tricking you with some makeup and some angles, a little Vaseline. Now you got all sorts of tools. You got AI tools. You got deep fake tools and you've got a society that hasn't held the people at the top in any of these areas, in my opinion, accountable. Again, you see the same names and faces again and again and again and again. Joey B being one of them. You know, I got this pre-dementia Joe Biden clip right here where he's talking about Afghanistan as a failed state. And the dangers of that, you know, back when he was conscious and that was the talking point of the party. Remember back in the day in um, 2007, when all these people like Joe Biden and John Edwards and Hillary Clinton and the Barack star, et cetera, were running for the presidency of the United States. They all had a plan to get out of I I Iraq and Afghanistan. They all had a plan to close Gitmo. All of them, every damn one of them. That was the talking point. Never happened. Here's pre-dementia Joe talking Afghanistan. The trip uh, reconfirmed my conviction that Afghanistan's fate 
and Pakistan's future are joined, and America's security is joined to both. And that's what I'd like to talk with you about today. We don't have to imagine what a failed state in Afghanistan uh, could mean for America's security. We already know. Afghanistan must never again, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a cold, must never again become a safe haven for Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda, ISIS, boogeyman. I mean, again, they love the boogeyman. This is at the Council on Foreign Relations, by the way. Good old CFR. Joe loves talking to the CFR. Well, son of a bitch. Well, son of a bitch, Joe. But just as important, if Afghanistan fails, Pakistan could follow because extremists will set their sights on a bigger prize to the east, not the west. Yet six years after we've ousted the Taliban, Afghanistan is the forgotten war, and that country, in my view, is slipping into failure, toward failure. So, again, this is on that run-up to that presidential run right around there. And this was the big talking point of Afghanistan. Al-Qaeda, you know, it's the forgot, forgotten war. I never forgot that we've waged a war of terror across the world. Across the world. Yeah, the Middle East is there. AFRICOM's there, too. Yemen's going on, fellas. Fellas and ladies and gals. The Taliban is back. Al-Qaeda is regenerated along the border. Violence is up and drug production is booming. And the Afghan people have very little faith in the ability of their government to deliver a better future. Uh, and this was before it was common knowledge. Now it's common knowledge. Yeah, the, the drug business is booming. Why? Because we protected the poppy fields. And by we, it wasn't Jason Burmis, but it sure was U.S. troops. It sure was U.S. troops, Joey B. So this is the dark clown show. Wrapping it up, guys. I want to talk about my films one more time. Loose Change Final Cut. Why do you need to watch Loose Change Final Cut? Well, if you watched the program in full and you saw me from 15 years ago discussing the physical anomalies at the World Trade Center when I was talking about thermal imagery showing massive hotspots that should not have been there, when I was talking about Ken Holden and the molten metal dripping from six, when I was talking about seeing squibs go off when the planes collided that had nothing to do with the explosion of those planes, every single one of those things, every one of them, can be seen in Loose Change Final Cut. We bring the receipts, not just Ari Melber receipts of Stormy Daniels sex payments. No, 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 no. We bring the real receipts. So Loose Change Final Cut, very proud of that film. Fabled Enemies. If you want to see Joey B, Joe Biden, talking Pakistan and their involvement in 9-11, you know, as we go back and we talk about Assange saying a couple other nation states other than Saudi Arabia. Yes, those nation states are Pakistan and Israel. Okay. If you want to understand the Israeli role in 9-11, if you want to understand about Amdocs and Converse and the quote unquote dancing Israelis, as well as the explosives that seem to have been used that day. Fabled Enemies has it all. The Pakistani payments, that network, Fabled Enemies has it all. 
that bin Laden network that was around Soviet style, fabled enemies has it all. And then let's go big picture. Invisible Empire, a new world order defined. I thought the term was goofy. I thought it was something just used by religious zealots. Thought it was a conspiracy theory. Guess not. Guess not. And it was through studying 9-11 and geopolitics surrounding that that I decided to make Invisible Empire a new world order defined. I think it is well worth your time. If you watched the program last night, Think about how, I I mean, we just played shade a little bit to show you how relevant Tarpley and uh, population control, et cetera, are in the dark carnival, the dark circus. Last night, we played you the Barney Frank clips, the people that are compromised sexually, the predators that are just minions for the real predator class that do the unspeakable and are rewarded for it. Phil's 13 years old. And then shade the motion picture. Hey, you just saw about a five, 10 minute spot. A whole lot more I could have played on Bill Gates, not just Ted Turner and Warren Buffett, not just on the eugenics and the shots with the heart attacks and the blood clots and the autoimmune disorders. It's a fact, Jack. It's all there. It's all free. So I want you to watch those. I want you to share them. I also want you to have an amazing weekend. I'm pumped. We got a day card for the UFC. Um, starts at noon my time. That's right, Ray. That's 10 a.m. your time, big guy. 10 a.m. card, Usman Edwards too. Uh, and I think there's actually an Abu Dhabi BYB bare knuckle boxing riding both. So going to be watching those at the house. Hopefully uh, I'm going to have some uh, good friends over as well. And then next weekend, starting on Thursday, I'm so pumped because we got Cage Digression. Get the pay-per-view over at cagedigression.tv. Three nights of fun fights that I'll be calling with legendary uh, fighter and coach Pat Militich. I absolutely love you guys. I want to thank you once again for joining me on this journey, and I will see you all on the flip side.